Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. Once a week, I'm going to go back into the archive of the History Hit podcast, which is getting along now. We've been around five years. Pull out an episode that's interesting or important and has relevance to the moment that we're in. And I think this is one of those podcasts. This is an interview that I recorded in Alabama, in Birmingham, Alabama, with Anthony Ray Hinton, a man who spent 28 years on death row convicted for murder. The evidence against him were flimsy to non-existent. He was arrested because of the colour of his skin, thrown in prison after a deeply flawed legal process. He's an absolutely remarkable man. I took my daughter to meet him, so you may hear her asking the odd question on this podcast. I think at this time when the issue of racial justice is back to the top of the agenda, this is a really useful podcast to revisit. I met him first through my wife, who's an activist in criminal justice reform, and Everyone who meets him is overwhelmed by his generosity of spirit, his lack of animosity and his determination to live a good life, despite the fact that so many years were taken away from him. So enjoy this interview. If you want to go to History Hit TV, listen to back episodes of the podcast like this one, they're all there on my History channel, audio and video. You just go to History Hit TV, use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, and then you get a month for free and then you get your second month for just one pound, euro or dollar. So please do go and check that out. In the meantime, everyone, enjoy this interview with Anthony Ray Hinton. So, Ray, where are we now? We're at the Birmingham uh, Civil Rights Institute. And then we've got, is that the 14th Street Church? Is it's that? on the 16th Street 16th. Baptist Church. We've got mm-hmm. the 16th Street Church. Baptist Church, yes. And white uh, extremists blew up that church? Uh, they did. Uh, I think it was... On a Sunday morning, uh, they was getting ready to attend Sunday school, and four little young black girl between the ages of five and I think uh, maybe eight uh, lost their life that Sunday morning. Uh, the bomb was set off by the Ku Klux Klan uh, back in the early '60s, and that's where it was. And do you remember what uh, was Birmingham like in that time for you growing up? Uh, Birmingham was. Perhaps the racist uh, city or state of Alabama uh, as a whole, but Birmingham was sure enough racist. We had this uh, man by the name of Bull Connor, who was uh, the commissioner police chief, and he hated black people with a passion. I mean, I don't even know if hate would even be the proper word to say. Uh, he sick the dogs on him. This is uh, Kelly Ingram Park right here. And they set the horses, the dogs from the fire trucks, sprayed them with water. And uh, it was just a mess back then, uh, the way black people was treated just because they was born black. You know? what's, uh, what's interesting about your story, though, is that people sometimes think maybe Martin Luther King came here and, and fixed it all. But you were subject to discrimination, what, in the years after this? Absolutely. Like the problems weren't solved. Oh, the problem is not solved, and they never will be solved until people learn that we all was God's creation. We all uh, is here for a reason. Uh, there is no black here, there is no white here, and we might as well try to get along here. I have never to this day understood racism. I have never understood what would make a human being hate another man simply because he was not born the same color that he was. I find it rewarding 
that we are different in ways. I mean, I can learn from you. Hopefully you can learn from me. And uh, I do believe that this world is big enough for all of us to enjoy it together. And uh, where all this hatred come from and why, I, I just don't understand it. When, when lots of other people come here, I come here and think, oh, this is a happy place and Dr. King was here. And For you, is this a hollow place? Because because you have it, these problems persisted and then you end up being in prison for 30 years, partly yes. because of racial prejudice. Absolutely. Uh, don't let... Uh, this might not be 1964 and 65, and, uh, although we're in 2000, uh, racism still exists very much in this country. Uh, it exists more so in the South to me than other place that you could ever imagine. It is just done now on the cover better. Uh, I often tell people that the Ku Klux Klan took off the white robe and put on the black robe. They have more power now to do whatever they want. Uh, white men of uh, pure hatred become judges, they become police officers, they become everything to show and to become more and more hatred torture. And now they have the law on their side because they are the law. And where back then it was just mobs of people. But now uh, look at how black men are being killed in this country. And so to me, racism happened, uh, went away. It's been here all along. It's just coming to full circle now. But you still think what those those de- campaigners out here, those demonstrators, the people who followed Dr. King, you still think they were doing an important job here? They oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, I think we have come a long ways. But the sad segment of it all is that we still have a long ways to go. I mean, people from other countries, they read about America. They see uh, how you can come and make a decent living. You come and see all the good. They don't know the bad. And once they get here, they after years or whatever, it might not take that long, they start seeing exactly uh, the bad. Uh, you take the Mexican, you take uh, anyone of color, uh, they come here and after a while they is treated just as bad as the blacks. So, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to take, but this is not a white world. This is not a white uh predominantly state we just all got to learn to get along and we got to all learn to share whatever we have so we're just looking at we're just looking at some of the exhibits in the museum here it's like the 60s were a crazy time in the south oh uh, the 60s was showing up from crazy time i mean as a black man you couldn't ride at night you couldn't if you did you was asking to be killed you was asking for trouble uh everybody thought that you was a part of third coming of the world. I mean, just being black, you could be uh, not even involved in the pickets or the non-bus ride. Just the fact that you was black was uh, a reason enough for the police to pull you over, kill you, beat you to death or whatever. I mean, uh, I've never seen so much hatred than I had at the age of eight, nine. And, uh, my mom used to try to explain it to you. And how do you explain what's going on to children. Uh, all they know is how to go outside and play and, and try to enjoy life, but this is what was going on. And even today I ask, what was it all about? I mean, what was it so bad that the black man had to endure all of this 
harsh treatment that they went through uh, simply because the color of their skin. And as Martin Luther King said, if we are wrong, then God Almighty is wrong. And I mean, he created us. And those same men that would sit there and beat you because the color of your skin is the same men that was blown to some church and believed in God and, and worshiped God and praised God. And uh, But outside of that, they, I guess they felt that God made a mistake by creating a black man. And people just don't understand what black people have been through and what black people go through. And they think that we truly have overcome, but really and truthfully, uh, we haven't overcome anything. Uh, we still have no power when it comes to equal justice. We still have no power when it comes to uh, making decisions. All, all decisions is made from white people. Uh, make no mistake about it. So, uh, right there in Montgomery where the decision making is made, yeah, you have some black senators, but they don't even have a voice where they can get any kind of bill passed through. Think about it. Let's say there's 15 white men and there's 14 black men. And we have to put this up to a vote for something. If the 15 white men stay together, who win? They vote. And this is what we have. So all the, all the decision making, all the law that is made and created, white men make them. And so that's why I challenge people to tell me where have we progressed in? Why haven't we got a little closer to help making decisions that is not just for black, but for everybody? All the power is still in white folks. Uh, in Alabama, you have 67 counties. 67. And you only have one black DA in 67 counties. Now, you tell me what's wrong with that picture. Yeah. Okay, well, Ray, we're sitting in your house now. we got it on a, on a sofa here. we got the Universal Declaration of Human Rights on yes. the back of the sofa. Uh, that's important for a man who's been denied the most basic of rights. For... Absolutely. I mean... I read it daily. I think about human rights. You know, this country that we live in called America is always criticizing another country about human rights. And America House is not clean. Uh, Americans treat his citizen far worse than other countries. It's just what I call uh, America dirty little secret. And I just always wonder how in the world can you criticize other country about their citizen when you exactly do the same thing. So quickly, tell me, just we'll start, what happened to you? Uh, at the age of, early age of 29, uh, the state of Alabama uh, had had two restaurant managers robbed and killed, and they were just out looking for any blackmail they could find. I just happened to be the one they found came and arrested me with no no eyewitnesses, no fingerprints, no nothing. And my mom owned an old pistol. They came and my, my mom let them have the pistol. They went back and instead of telling the truth, they said that the pistol matched the bullets that they retrieved from the deceased bodies. That cost me 30 years of my life. Uh, I wish... I could say that Alabama made a mistake. I, I, I mean, I would love to be able to say, hey, they got it wrong. But Alabama knew exactly what they was doing. The authority knew exactly that they don't 
bullets didn't match that pistol. But in America, when you're black, poor, you can go to uh, prison for the rest of your life. Uh, but Alabama had every intention of executing me for a crime that they knew that I didn't do. So you were 30 years on death row. Yes. Now, I've got my daughter here. She's got a question for you. Yeah. What was your day like at death row, and what did you wear? What did you normally have for lunch and dinner? Uh, we wore uh, all white, white pants, white shirts. Uh, dinner and lunch and breakfast was the worst that food you could ever eat. Uh, in prison, it is designed for you not to fall in love with it. Uh, it is designed to make you feel less than a human being. And I had to endure 30 years of it, uh, just sitting there eating the worst foods you could possibly ever eat, wearing the same clothes day in and day out. Uh, you only could change clothes every six months. Uh, they'll give you a new pair of pants once every six months. And uh, sitting there, I hate this tale, but it was pure hell. That's what my day was like. Every day was pure hell, and I had to find a way to relieve myself from uh, that hell. And so in my mind, I just imagined being being gone, and that's the only way I was able to survive that 30 years of pure hell. And you didn't just survive, because everyone that knows you now knows that you're a particularly uh, positive, upbeat person. So somehow you came through that experience stronger. Uh, well, I would like to think so. You know, uh, my enemies was trying to have me executed. And I believe that I was given this strength uh, through my faith, I've always believed that uh, no matter what your enemy tried to do for you, if you have God on your side, you will prevail. And this strength just came from uh, the teaching of my mother as a young boy to believe in myself, to never let anyone uh, take anything from me that they don't deserve. I couldn't do a thing about the 30 years because I had been before this so-called justice system, and the justice system sends me to die. But this mind, this joy that I uh, developed while I'm in there for 30 years, there's nothing the system could do about it. Uh, they couldn't come in there and say, stop being happy. Uh, stop pretending like you over in England visiting the queen. Stop pretending that you're talking to the queen. There's nothing they could do about that. That's what I found enjoyable, uh, the fact that I had the upper hand and I could just go where I want, when I want to, in my mind. And if they could, they probably would have charged me for escape because I definitely wasn't there. You know. <laughs> uh, I've got. To, okay, my daughter's got another question. What's the best mattress for you? Well, if you're an egg or a kitten, check out the competition. But if you're a human person, put your body on a nectar mattress. As well as award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. 
What did you want from the state of Alabama, and who? Um, what did you miss the most? Uh, the most, the thing I missed the most was uh, my mother. Uh, my mother was up in age and uh, living here all alone, and I just thought that it was a disservice to not only her, uh, but to me to miss all of those years with the mother that I had. I had a loving, kind mother who went beyond the call of duty as a mother uh, to provide for me. Uh, my father lost his mind when I was four, and so my mother didn't stop. She provided me with food, shelter, clothes, uh, whatever I needed. My mother was always there. Well, you say, you're, you say your father lost your mind because he was involved in an industrial accident yes. working in the mines here in, in Birmingham, which is the great industrial city of the South. In a way, your family is, has been a, a great example of, of what happens to working black families here, you've, you've been subject to uh, terrible working conditions and, and industrial practices, uh, travesties of justice, and, and you're a historian. I mean, it, what, what is it over the last decades, over the last centuries, do you think, that has, that has made your family story what it is? Mm, now, that's a little hard to say because, you know, uh, strength. Uh, my mom was a strong woman, and... Can you just imagine having a at least six of us were still in the house when my father lost his mind? But and my mom would work in white people's houses, uh, cleaning whatever she had to do to provide for us. And so I think the historic point would be that I drew strength from the fact that I could go back and see how she made it, and I knew. Even on death row, if my mom can make it, uh, I surely can make it. Because even on death row, I felt I had a little more advantage than she had. And so you draw strength from what you've seen her go through. You draw strength from the fact that she never complained. She just always kept a smile on her face and made it through another day. And that's really what I did. I just drew strength from her or the damages, uh that she had went through. You, you've told me that if people don't know the past, they don't know where they are in the present. What, what is it? What's important about the history of the black community here in Alabama uh, that you think people should know? Well, of all the wrongdoing, all the racism that they had to endure, uh, and uh, that type of uh, uh, thing was that blacks was hung. Uh, just because they was black. Uh, the fear that was put in black back in the, the, late, the late 60s, uh, afraid to be caught out at night. Uh, I want young people especially to know their history. Uh, everything that they think they have as far as equal right, someone had to pay a, a heavy price for that. For instance, Martin Luther King paid a price gave his life so that we could be better. Even I could be better. And I want young people, white people, everybody to know that for what we have now, there were some people paid a severe price for it. They lost their life uh, simply because they was marching and trying to get equal rights, voting rights. And here we are 200 years later, and here go America trying to make it even harder.
for people of color to vote. And so, uh, one hand, I feel that we made progress, and on the other hand, I feel that we still back in the late 60s. It just done more undercover where you can't see it and recognize it as though back in the 60s it was just out and open. Uh, and I just want young people to stop believing in this American dream. Stop believing that uh, you have the opportunity to be everything you want to do. No, you don't. Uh, you denied uh, scholarships simply because the color of your skin. You denied interest of a lot of things, a lot of programs that average white person get in America or blacks can't get. But you don't hear nobody really talking about it because they don't want the world to know that America is racist to its core. I'm talking about there's no other country that I think is more racist than America. And I see it every day. Uh, I tend to stay away from it in the sense of I go where I feel I'm welcome or I don't go where I don't think I'm welcome. And so I want young people to understand, uh, too, they need to educate themselves. And the first thing I would ask them to do is pick up history Go and talk to people that know history because American history book don't have a lot of the history in it. They don't want you to be up on history. They want you to be ignorant. And so I would ask, invite young people to just go out and do their homework and learn the history because I am a true believer. There's no way you can have a future unless you know your past. Um, do you forgive the people that put you in prison? I do, I, and, and I forgive them not because they have come up to me and said, Mr. Hinton, uh, I'm sorry, will you accept my apology? Uh, no one in the state of Alabama have asked my forgiveness. I don't forgive those people because they asked me to. I don't forgive them so they can sleep good at night. I forgive them so I can sleep good at night. I forgive them because it is my Christian duty to forgive them, and it was be against everything my mother taught me if I was running around here hating uh, the very people that did this to me. She used to tell me as a young boy, she said, there will be people that dislike you because of the color of your skin. She said, you are not to hate them, you are to pray for them. And so uh, I took that as a, a man, and she is right, it's like, wait, I won't lie. For the first three years that I was on death row, I couldn't think of nothing but revenge, nothing but hatred. And that hatred was making me not smile. It was making me not laugh. It was making me not want to be around anybody. So I know what hatred was doing. It was eating me up inside. And, and I compare it, and I, I apologize to anyone that have it, but I compare it to like cancer. It just slowly eats you up. And so I had to get rid of that hate. And the only way that I could get rid of it is that I had to forgive the men that did this to me. I won't sit here and say it came overnight, it came in the year, but gradually it just left me. And I could feel it when it had left me. I began to smile more, I began to laugh more. I wanted to be around people again. Uh, and so it's not important to me that Alabama have yet to do what they're supposed to do. 
Alabama have not apologized. Alabama have not given me one penny. I got out of prison. I had nowhere to live. I had no clothes. I had nothing. But thank God I had a friend. Uh, him and his wife uh, invited me into their home, uh, bought me clothes. Uh, my family as well, they bought clothes. But I just had to start all over again. I'm talking about a place to live or, or everything I had to go get identification. So it's not like I got out of prison and everything was set up good for me. I had to literally start over from scratch. And in, in uh, on death row, are you held in solitary on, on death row? Yes, you're in solitary for really 24 hours. But every now and then they'll come by and uh, let you go outside uh, and get a breath of fresh air. That's rare, but they will do it occasionally. And But for the most part, you're in solitary uh, 23 hours a day. That's every day. And so uh, you have nothing but time to reflect about life, whether you made good decision or bad decision. Uh, you have time to see the world for what it is. You have time to see people for what they truly are. Uh, it is a thinking thing, a tank. And I used it to think. I used it to hopefully to better myself. And one thing I always believed that I would get out, but I didn't want to get out and have this hate. I wanted to get out and enjoy life. I want to tell people that are going to hear this. You may not have no money. You may not even have a place to live. But there's nothing more important than your freedom. And even with that freedom, you can find sunshine even on a rainy day. You can find warmth on a cold day. And you can find laughter when something is really not funny. I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world that is more important to me than my freedom. I may not have any money. I may not have a car. I may not have nothing. But just to be able to be free, to walk where I wanted, to go where I wanted, that's freedom. And for 30 years, I was told where to go, how far I could go. And it put a perspective on me as far as freedom and what it's all stand for. Is Trump going to make America great again? And... Uh, I don't think Trump can make America great again. And again, I would ask the question, I would like to know when was America great? Uh, I was born in 1956. I grew up in a country that was full of racists. I grew up where men was being lynched on a daily basis. I grew up where you couldn't uh, eat in a certain places. Uh, I grew up where you couldn't ride in the front of buses. So I want someone to ask Mr. Trump, uh, ask someone uh, important, when was America great? And if you find out, please uh, get in touch with me and let me know the answer to that. It's a very challenging conversation for me because I'm someone who's always looked up to America and I'm steeped in the history of the Constitution and the Americans coming, helping Britain in the First and Second World War and all the amazing things. So uh, for me, for me... And I suppose that's because I'm an affluent white person, an English-speaking white person. Uh, hearing this, I still find it sort of... It's something that runs against everything that I deep down sort of believe and understand. So, Well, you know, uh, I understand where you're coming from. 
because America haven't showed you they dirty secrets. Uh, Americans haven't and don't want people to know they dirty little secret. Uh, I have no reason to lie on America. America have been good to me. America, in the same token, have been perhaps the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And so I want people to really understand something. America may put on this beautiful face, but when nightfall comes, the true America come out. The backdoor dealers is made. Only the rich is make the decision for everybody in America. Uh, people of color have no say, so they have no power. And that is designed by this great country called America. Uh, America might came and helped the Brits in World War One and Two, but you can bet America did it. Not just because they loved the Brits. They had a motive for doing it. Did you, like, make friends with anybody in death row when you were, like, in your cage? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I made uh, lots of friends when I was in that cage. Uh, Being around people for 30 years, there's no way you can't make friends. Uh, with people, other death row inmates. And not only did I make friends with uh, death row inmates, I would like to think that I made friends with the guards. Uh, you know, I'm warned that I didn't have no animosity toward those guards. They treated me with respect. They treated me like a human being. They didn't put me there. They didn't, excuse me, come to the courthouse and say, uh, spread lies that wasn't true on me. Uh, I realized that they had a job to do, and their job was to keep me in that confinement. And when it was time for me to uh, leave that prison, guess what? Those same guard that locked me up opened that door and escorted me out of the prison. And so they just did their job. And I didn't go there with any hatred toward no guards or anything. I always believe treat human beings with respect. And hopefully all I can do is ask that it give them back to me. And if it's not, it's not. But I'm going to always treat people with respect. You did meet that white supremacist on death row. Yes. Uh, Henry Hayes was his name. And uh, Henry was at the time maybe 19 or 20 when he came to death row. Uh, he had hung a 17-year-old black youth in the middle of the street uh, from the orders of his father, who was a grand wizard. And Henry came to death row. And while he was on death row, no blacks mistreated Henry. No blacks uh, threatened Henry at all because they was there for crime as well. And so how can you point the finger at someone else? when you're there for the exact same thing. They may not have hung anybody, but they was all there accused of killing someone. And if Hayes was still alive, he would be the first one to tell you that his mother and his father and all the clans members uh, lied to him all his life. They told him this, these bizarre stories that black people was uh, like animals. They had no feeling. They didn't uh, hurt. and They didn't cry. We For some reason, we are built different than 
white people. Uh, and so when you feed a child at an early age, they believe that, and he believed in that. But when he came to death row and got around blacks, he seen a side that his father and mother didn't tell him. And he seen that black people cared about him, at least the guys on death row cared about him. When Hayes needed something, if someone had it, they gave it to him. Uh, and Hayes was quoted as saying before he was executed, all of his life, his mother and father and his community lied to him. But he learned what true love felt like. He felt uh, learned what compassion felt like. And he got it while he was on death row by blacks. Uh, Henry Hayes left me some books uh, in his will when he was executed. The thing that I've always will remember is that parents, regardless of how you feel, you're to your children to be truthful to them. And there's no reason any white person, in my opinion, can sit down and give their kids a reason to hate anyone, especially black people. Black people have did everything they've been asked to do in this country. They fought for this country. And yet they are still treated like third-class citizens in this country. Well, uh, the, your book is uh, published. What's it called? Uh, it is called The Sun Does Shine. Sun does shine. Remarkably optimistic title that I think reflects the uh, incredible, incredible positivity and lessons uh, within the book. Good luck with it all, Ray. See you next time. Thank you. And may I say hello to the Queen? <laughs> it should, I should say, everyone, the Queen, you developed a relationship with the Queen whilst you were on death row, didn't you? I did. Well, the Queen saved my insanity and uh, I would love one day to just say thank you. And she probably would look at me if I could say thank you. And she probably would say, what is he talking about? Thank you. But, you know, I developed this fascination that I escaped mind-wise and went to the palace. And the queen and I had this beautiful, lovely conversation for hours. And and it was one person helping another person, you know, and, uh, and so she will always be a part of someone that I give credit for helping me do those 30 years. Without her, I don't know what I've been able to do it. I think if you met the Queen in real life, she might just know exactly what you're talking no. about. Uh, I would hope so. But again, I would love to say thank you to her. But if somehow someone can get her message and just tell her that she helped me and didn't even know she was helping someone. It was, I would have greatly appreciated it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, bit of a favour to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money. Makes sense. But if you could just do me a favour, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review, purge yourself, give it a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. It's a tough world out there. Law of the jungle out there. And uh, I need all the fire support I can get. So that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome. But if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you. <laughs>